Hi, welcome to the Product Momentum Podcast, a podcast about how to use technology to solve challenging technology problems for your organization. This week's episode is about how to bring a product to market in the real world, a very complicated healthcare product, software product. Um, We've got a couple of awesome guests that have been in the healthcare space pretty much their entire professional careers, one of them in IT and and one of them in finance, who's who's uh, switched um, into running this this very cool business that's around uh, wellness and um, biometric screening and and helping companies um, control their healthcare costs and really deliver better healthcare services to their employees. Um, our guests are Brian Harrington, who's with the University of Rochester in their IT department. He's been there, like I said, his entire entire career has been in technology and he's been he's been running uh software products for them for quite a few years now successfully and renu singh who started out in in finance at least when i met her over at the university of rochester and is now um running this software product group yeah so what's really cool about this story is you know when we talk about product development a lot on this podcast there's kind of like a behind the scenes aspect to it of it's not just about you know, just about talking to users and getting feedback and, you know, deploy, you know, getting your sprints done and, and getting features out there. But there's, there's this whole other angle of product developer, product development teams and product development managers. We, we really have to support the business as a whole because, you know, sales can't do it alone. Marketing can't do it alone. They need to you know, be working with us constantly to understand, you know, what, is working with clients, you know, in terms of just the language we use with them, what content's working, what features are coming up in the roadmap, so that they can plan all that out and use that that language and that knowledge when they're, you know, marketing the products, whether that's print materials, online ads, you know, just conversations with prospects to get them excited about what's coming, um, or even in the support aspect of, you know, getting bug reports, defect reports, you know, understanding what the pain points are, maybe at a non-functional level, so. What's cool about this is we've got Renu, who's kind of the sales and marketing side, you know, growing this as a business within the U of R. And then we've got Brian as well on the support side, you know, dealing with regulation and all that comes with, you know, supporting a product and growing it and scaling it. Yeah, I think this this particular product is a great case study in an agile approach to business in general, too, because they've had several iterations of lots of different things. So this is going to be an interesting, interesting interview for sure. Can't wait. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I, I was thinking about when we were recording the interview is Mike Tyson's got an old saying, you know, everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face. <laughs> and I think about that with software development. Like everyone's got a plan thinking they've maybe done some up- upfront work to do some user testing or, you know, based on all their knowledge, you know, f- build what they think is the best product. But ultimately, until you actually have to sit down with a client and show it to them and sell them on it, you, you know, your plan can go out the window in, in that moment. So, you know, hearing the stories of, of how that's gone and, you know, how they've you know, reacted and responded to, you know, concerns about the product or, you know, how to improve it is, is really fascinating to me. All right. Let's get after it. So without further ado, on to our conversation with Renu and Brian. Um, okay. So we are here with Renu and Brian from the University of Rochester and wanted to talk to them about the application that they've been deploying and launching and, and selling essentially at this point, because what we wanted to talk about today was really kind of the behind the scenes of, of product management and actually getting it into market and all the fun and challenges that that 
that comes with. So, Renu and Brian, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. This is going to be fun to talk about. Super excited to have you guys on. Can you tell us a little bit about your business and your roles for our audience just to bring them up to speed? Sure, absolutely. I, I, you know, I, I can start start us off. Our business, um, we actually developed this business uh, as part of the University of Rochester, and we developed a product that's part of the university, uh, or UR Medicine product, which means it's basically a clinical product. And what we do is we provide wellness um, assessment and wellness intervention programs to the community. We are a program that contract direct with employers and at a population level, we are um, engaging individuals to really take control of their health. And we also uh, help coach individuals with chronic disease to live a healthy and productive life. Wow, that's a great description. Um, and what's your role, Renu, with the organization? I am the CEO of UR Medicine Employee Wellness Program, and I've been involved um, from the very early days, which is really not that long ago, but it has been involvement that really started with uh, developing a technical platform in partnership uh, with a wonderful tech company that's uh, in the area, and um, and and that platform we've uh, we've continued to further develop to essentially um, fulfill our the demands of the workplace, and we've now uh, we've actually implemented our program in thirty nine organizations today. Holy cow! <laughs> that's amazing, isn't that? And do. Do you happen to know how many lives you touch through this program? Yeah, so the lives that we touch, well, so so the lives that we touch really are close to probably about uh, 45,000. And, wow. and yes, it has grown substantially. And by touch, you know, industries uh, really define touch um, very uniquely and, and, and independent to what they do when it comes to wellness. But from a touch perspective, our platform has uh, you know, has grown significantly. The number of lives we've covered has grown significantly. And the programs um, that we've touched individual lives with is probably about 30,000. Wow. And, and Brian, can you, you mind jumping in telling us a little bit about what you do for the organization? I'm the Director of Information Technology Services for the School of Nursing and um, the Employee Wellness Program, uh, as, as Renu indicated, started uh, a few years back, and I was um, immediately part of that kind of getting the technology going um, that would help clients get in their information, their biometric information, and their personal health assessment information, and as well as linking uh, that information through to where the nurses and coaches could have access to it um, in order to provide you know the quality uh, support that they do from a clinical perspective. Um, and so the technology kind of is, is the glue that holds everything together and, and makes everything work. And in fact, uh, what Brian didn't tell you is that he was always, he also served a, in the early days as my translator when we really moved a, a clinical product um, and built the technology infrastructure and the platform to support that. And that required, uh, I guess, a real crash course in understanding technology and the language around it. So Brian was also my translator. <laughs> That's cool. So can you talk a little bit about how the idea initially kind of came up and how it was brainstormed? And then how did you, you know, you are a, a very big organization. How did you kind of 
mm-hmm. get the approval and the funding and, and get everyone's buy-in to, to do this. So it was an interesting process. And I think that I, I can honestly say that we were in some ways fortunate that uh, it was a concept of ours um, in, in early days, um, even earlier, it was a Dean uh, Pat Shiverton, in fact, that probably about 15 years ago, showed an interest in wellness. And that was before the wellness industry really took off. And and she saw that the role of nurses was really instrumental in, in being able to coach and to educate individuals on, on their health and wellness. And so the interest was there early. However, we didn't have the infrastructure. We really were not able to be mobilized at that time. The University of Rochester, then I think they had about 24, 25,000 employees. And, and they were interested in moving in the direction of wellness because it was something relatively new in the market place at the time. And they contracted with a national vendor. Um, I think they're located somewhere in the Midwest. And that vendor, though they had a, a, a beautiful concept, they were really unable to engage employees uh, at the university. And, and, um, and the impact that the organization made really didn't justify the cost um, of, of the program itself. We, um, recognizing that, worked with the University of Rochester's um, Human Resource Department and, and, and Finance Office to, um, to make sure that they didn't uh, drop a concept that was beautiful, but instead looked at programming and, and, and how it was most appropriate to deliver, you know, the, the program that we wanted to deliver. And so with a lot of discussion really around the clinical framework that, that, that really is important to successful outcomes for, for wellness programs was what we knew best and that's what we knew how to do. And what we needed to do in order to be able to provide that was to build the technical infrastructure to support it. I think that is what, uh, you know, there were many platforms that were available in the marketplace, but they were not designed around um, the clinical framework that we understood to be very important for us. And so the university said, listen, if you think you know how to do it, we believe you. We, we see the science behind what you're talking about and the programs that you're uh, wanting to develop. We will help you within uh, reason. And so what they did was they invested in us by actually uh, allowing us to contract with them. So we had a guaranteed contract of the largest employer in Rochester, which was nice. Um, But we also had to demonstrate great value and build our program to support the value that we, uh, that that we proposed to them. Got it. So kind of piggybacking that, you know, we have product managers who may be working at a startup and that's more entrepreneurship versus other product managers who are working within a large organization organization and launching a new business line. Some people call that intrapreneurship. Mm-hmm. So in your opinion, where's the differences in how to approach, you know, launching the big new product line at a big company versus, you know, what a startup can do more nimbly? So, you know, that's an interesting question. I would say from an internal perspective, there are some advantages that are inherent. You have an organization that is supporting your growth and helping you to uh, really achieve your metrics and they're partnering with you. So in a sense, it's a little bit different than a customer relationship. It is a, a, a bit more of a partnership. 
what I will tell you is when you are um, providing a service to any organization, internal or external, um, partnership only lasts as long as you deliver. And so you're still, you're still um, uh, very tied to exceeding metrics. And, and, and we built a program knowing that if we could do what we conceptualized, then we would want to be entrepreneurial in the sense that we want to offer our programs to, at the time we were, we were thinking just uh, in the region. And, um, and so about two years ago, we started to do that. And our, our, our growth has just been very, uh, very rapid and, and, um, and well-received. That's amazing. So I'm going to take a little sidestep here and ask a, sort of a different question. So I have this belief, this personal belief that the healthcare system has evolved to where it's at because... Um, it was the right thing to do in a, in a past time, but things have changed. Like we now have access to people's information and, and their attention through digital products like mobile phones and things of, of this nature that we, we can actually take a completely different approach to healthcare now. And a lot of the complaints you hear, no matter where you go about the healthcare system is I believe revolve around the fact that it's very health event centric. <laughs> like we, we have built the entire system, um, to be focused on the, the um, health event, like something goes wrong and that's when you engage the medical system, right? And you guys have completely flipped that on its head. And you said, let's not do that. Let's, and even from our early, the earliest conversations we had with you when you were thinking about building this product, we, um, we've had some of these conversations. Let's put the patient at the center of our universe and figure out what infrastructure and what tools do we have to put in place to make sure that wellness is at the center of their universe and how do they engage with our organization to remain well um, so that we can build this sort of framework and platform for a better, more healthy existence in the context of the world. Right. And it's kind of a brilliant model. So, and we know you've been pretty successful in deploying it, 39 organizations, 30,000, 45,000 lives. That's amazing. I'm, my next question is really, how do you measure success? And I want, I want you to answer that question in two ways. One is obviously outcomes are a clear measure of success in the long run. If you get better outcomes, um, healthcare costs are reduced, everybody wins. But I want, you, I want you to also answer it from the perspective of the, of the software product. How do you know that the software product itself is, is achieving its goals in the context of your greater goal, which is better outcomes? Actually, that is a great question. And first, I, I, I just want to acknowledge that, um, that your assessment of our healthcare system and, and, the, um, and where we were looking to be different um, and still be tied into the delivery of healthcare is spot on. Uh, what I will tell you is, uh, you know, you're absolutely right. Outcomes, clinical outcomes are, you know, the easiest way to say, yes, you're successful. But the another outcome, which is very much tied to what we've developed in our platform is engagement. Um, and engagement is a critical metric in wellness because we are looking to engage people before they have an event. So, Sean, you talked about, um, you know, the health industry really being focused, you know, triggered by an event, a health event. We're really wanting people to get engaged because they are um, wanting to make a difference in their lives and, and not have a clinical event. Um, and so that 
really entails a very different way of reaching people and reaching people where they're at. So it's the synthesis of information, of data uh, that that we are collecting, our, our portal, our, our infrastructure is allowing us to collect information and target individuals, not only on um, what their health uh, and wellness needs are, but what their interests are, what their motivation is. And we're able to engage people in an entirely different way. So our portal allows us to model our, our engagement strategies in a way that um, that really is different in healthcare today. Today, if you go to uh, any traditional healthcare model is going to be uh, a patient is not feeling well, and there's something going on, and they're going to um, initiate the engagement. Our focus is entirely uh, opposite, and that's what our platform has helped us to do. That's a fantastic answer. So if I could sum it up, on the software side, you're measuring engagement and how often people come back and use it, which in our world, we call that like a loyalty factor. Like they're using it because they're getting value out of it. And if you drive that, that will ultimately drive outcomes. I love it. So I got a quick question for Brian, going back to the very beginning of time, um, when we were thinking about different ways to, to get the product deployed into market and used. You guys used some financial incentives early on, um, if I recall. And um, for us, it's like, we believe that there, there's this thing called the loyalty ladder. You first got to get people to trust the product to start to use it, and then you can work on engagement and loyalty. And then ultimately, we want to achieve it, this thing called advocacy, right? Where they're telling each other, oh, you got to use this platform, right? You got to use the, the biometric tool. Um, so, Brian, I remember in the early days, we were using financial incentives. What other tools did we use to try to earn trust from, <clears throat> um, from our users? So, yeah, in the, be in the beginning, there was the financial incentive, and that's, that's actually still present. But um, going beyond that, um, you know, making sure that the system uh, does what people want to do, that it engages them in a way they want to be engaged. Um, as Renu indicated, that some of the things that work toward engagement, we have questions about motivation to change. You know, maybe you're not motivated to quit one activity, but you are motivated to quit another, whether it's better or whatever. Um, we have that information and we're able to kind of reach out to the people in the area, you know, that they're interested in. Um, and, and so through the various kinds of data that we collect, we are better able to customize the way we communicate with the individual clients. And, you know, you mentioned before, it's sort of the, the event kind of driven health system. We're always very careful to not call the people patients, right? They're clients. And um, sort of just that attitude that we're talking about healthy people who maybe want to fix some area of their life and want to help, want help, want to coach, uh, that sort of thing. Maybe they don't realize quite, you know, everybody knows eat better and exercise more, but the details of that are a lot more tricky, right? You know, what can I do that fits my lifestyle and the coaching, uh, that the nurses provide helps make that happen, helps find a way that is right for the individual and all the data that we have in the system is what helps make that successful. <laughs> I would add to that, Brian. Um, I, I, just in addition to that, I will I will share that many of the organizations that we've signed with have uh, uh, do not offer incentives. So though the university continues to, we work with organizations that that do not offer incentives. 
so, so I, uh, you know, to add to what Brian uh, was stating, I think that though we now also work with organizations that do not offer financial incentives, what we're finding is the resources that are available to them that we can put online and organized in a manner to push content directly to individuals based on their motivation and based on their, their needs and their interests really engages people. So we have just as high of an engagement rate in organizations that offer little to no incentives uh, as we do in organizations that have incentives. And I think that's an indication of, of uh, the usefulness of, the, uh, of our infrastructure, of our portal. Absolutely. I was going to say that's a, that was a great answer. And I think your, your product or your, your service, really, it's more of a service than a product, is really an interesting and cool mix of real human services, the coaching that you mentioned, Brian, which, which builds trust early in the process. And I think that's a, key, that's a key trust factor for you to get people using the system, get them engaged, and get there's a human-to-human element that's, that goes beyond just the software product. And I think that's really, really important. I'm just going to jump in with uh, one of the things too is we're we're dealing with health information and you know trust is particularly important there right you have to trust that the organization is going to care for that information in a proper manner and you know so we're always doing uh, security assessments on on the system uh, with a security group that's internal to the university but not part of our organization as as the employee wellness organization. Um, you know, to, to be sure that we're handling the information correctly. And when we took over for the organization that was here previously, it, there was a lot of feeling from people that they didn't handle things correctly, the, the outside organization before we came in. And, you know, it was a big thing that we wanted to do this right, to approach people in a way that felt comfortable, didn't feel like you're kind of invading their space. And that's, you know, it's a sort of a challenge to kind of balance that and come in in a way that's helpful and you know, meeting what they would want, but not seeing, um, you know, kind of spooky or however you want to word that, you know? Yeah. So piggy, piggybacking that just to kind of talk about the behind the scenes again, you know, there's a lot of regulations that you need to comply with, whether it's HIPAA or ADA or, or other ones like that. Is, could you just give a brief overview of the types of regulations and that you need to deal with and what they kind of each entail? Uh, sure. So HIPAA obviously is, is one that we deal with um, in multiple areas here in the medical center, uh, but specifically with our product, right? It, it, there is health information in the system that we use to, as we talked about before, to better engage people. Um, but so along with that comes a lot of, you know, security testing, documenting process, and, and having everything kind of, you know, clearly understood um, and meeting the different requirements um, for HIPAA. And the medical center works with a, a program called High Trust, which kind of tr tries to roll up a lot of the things that you would need to be compliant with. Um, and so it, by meeting the high trust standards, you know you're going to meet HIPAA, um, FISMA, and all these other things that are out there, FERPA, um, all the different letter acronyms. And, and so that's been our goal, and we work with them closely to ensure everything that we do is, is you know, compliant with, with all that stuff. Um, ADA is a little different, but it's more around the um, accessibility of the site. And we always, you know, everything we do um, from student facing as well as for products like this, we always make sure that we're ADA compliant, that things work well that way. And of course, working with ITX got us started off with that right from the beginning. Um, you guys were really on top of that thing, even when we first launched, having that kind of stuff built in uh, from the ground up. Thanks for the plug. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how much, you know, just to, just to kind of talk in reality for a minute, 
yeah, how much did those regulations play a role in your decision making around, you know, how the user experience played out or different product decisions you had to make? I would say that, you know, it's it's always in our head, right? Because we we understand the importance of of securing data. Um, but at the same time, we're really when we're thinking about the user, the client experience, it, it's sort of that's at the front of our mind, right? How do we make this the the best experience for our clients that we can make it? And then once we understand that, how do we make that work within the guidelines of keeping everything secure and safe? Um, because, you know, security is, is one of the things you have to have, but you don't want it to be in the way, right? It, it needs to be kind of seamless. And, and that's the challenge, right, is, is to have a product that's appealing to the, to the client, that they want to come use, that they, you know, realize the benefit from it, but yet also behind the scenes, making sure everything is safe and secure. So, uh, Brian, if you'd like, I, I can start on that. Um, and then I would love to have you join in. One of the things that I think have been, has been really helpful for us is that we've had, that we designed a platform that, uh, that we could have grow with us. And so while we looked at our clinical processes and measured our outcomes and, 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 and at times adapted our operations or our programs uh, to really reflect outcomes that we've, th that we wanted to, uh, to, to mirror or to um, uh, continue to improve on our portal and, and the technology um, it allowed us to, it, it was, um, I guess, amenable enough to allow us to adapt our processes accordingly. And I will give you an example uh, that, that to me is a very wonderful and differentiating factor um, supported by our portal that allowed us in wellness to, to exceed national averages of a high benchmark for engagement. And that was our process that we deliver our health assessments in are done one-on-one -on -one using um, clinical specialists. And we found that that was a wonderful time to engage individuals into programs because, as you know, I think it's probably uh, more, uh, it's, it's probably something that you would logically think of, but but it wasn't something that's, it's not something that was built into the process of what is typically done for wellness. And what we did is we, we, we learned that if you have a face-to-face -face interaction, that is the time to really engage individuals into programs that are designed specifically for them to meet their needs. And what, what we were able to do is to, is to really align our platform to support an approach that worked very well for us with engaging individuals into programs that were completely appropriate for their needs. And the way that we did that was we, we took the clinical interface on our portal and we created um, dashboard measures for our providers. So in real time, when we are meeting with clients and assessing their biometric values and looking at their lifestyle uh, factors that could contribute to them, uh, to their, to their um, health uh, and, and wellness, we were able to provide that information to the nurse right there on her screen and also, in addition, provide where are they most motivated to change and what do they need most? And so our providers were able to utilize that information and engage individuals on the spot. And I will tell you, we had a 354% increase 
in our engagement and our national and the national average for engagement in uh, disease management programs, for example, is on the high side. If someone says that they have ten or eleven percent, they are doing a bang up job. Ours is eighteen percent, and that was really supported by the infrastructure. If we didn't have that interface for the clinicians, we wouldn't have the engagement. Got it. Yeah, perfect answer. So, so the next question I would love to hear both of your opinions on. So, so thinking about the products and as the product was built and rolled out, how did the product drive changes on the business side? Like how did the business have to adapt with their processes, their approach to accommodate the software? You know, you, you, you kind of said, you know, how has the business adapted with the software? And I think that's the benefit of having our own uh, development team, having, you know, started out working with ITX and then created our own team that's keeping the product moving forward, is that really the business informs the software. Um, as Renew kind of indicated, one of our key differences with us is that we're clinically informed. We're evidence-based practice informed, you know, so nurses are involved in, in all of the process that, you know, whether it's our nurse coaches, whether it's uh, people like Renew who are seeing things, looking at different numbers and saying, oh, that we should be doing this this way. We then are able to take our software and, you know, enhance it in ways that support what the business is looking for, what we're trying to make happen, whether it's engagement or any of the other areas that we've, you know, kind of slowly modified. And, and it's great because, you know, we can try things, right? Um, for our care um, management programs, we said, well, what, what, would it, what would it benefit us if we used uh, like Fitbit data? And so we, you know, quickly wrote a module, got Fitbit data in and, you know, we're able to see how does that help us? Is it, is it useful to the nurses in trying to coach people and help people move forward? And so we're able to be flexible and try things and see what works and make the software really kind of match the business needs. Outstanding. Um, so the work you're doing, it's profound on many, many levels. With so many users now and so much longitudinal data, because you've been doing this for a few years, have you published any research yet? As have you guys had, I know you've had some data um, analytics people because um, they've had they've had concerns right from the beginning about making sure we're collecting data in a way that we can make it useful. Have you guys published anything yet in terms of how you're able to move the needle on human behaviors with the platform? So what we've been able to do, we have a couple of of studies that were published on on um, metrics that we measured through the program, but we have. Um, but we have more to do because our outcomes are phenomenal and the data has been very useful from that perspective. We can literally measure uh, improvements or, or change in behavior because of the data that we collect on a routine basis and we can look at changes over time with individuals. That's phenomenal. We, we, we recently had um, three presentations at a national wellness um, meeting in 2018, it was in early June, and the presentations will eventually become publications. So we're, you know, we're maybe a little early on that, but uh, but the presentations were really developed through the founding, you know, through through the findings that we've had with our collection of data. So we've you know we've talked about the growth, you know, the number of companies signed up, the number of users. So. Is it a fair, fair statement to say that this is kind of one of those products like Amazon where anyone can be a user? So, you know, it's interesting. From a technical perspective, we can see anyone anywhere. 
Our program design right now is more of a regional design, but it's interesting that you mention that because we are looking at a a national um, presence. So we're considering that just given our outcomes and our uh, the programs that we have designed clinically that are supported through our portal have really demonstrated themselves to be beyond what uh, what we're seeing in in the wellness industry in that space. So so there is interest and there is good rationale to take the program nationally. I think you know if we did, our platform is probably the most prepared portion. And what we really have to do is look at how we can. Uh, provide the uh, high-touched clinical um, interventions using um, using in-person and, uh, and and telemedicine. And so we've already started with telemedicine for our disease management and our coaching programs. And now we're looking at different ways to, to also um, provide our biometric screening and coaching that occurs uh, early on to bring in engagement, utilizing uh, additional technology and, uh, and point of care testing. Got it. So, so considering that, you know, you could have someone who's very young versus very old and all kinds of different, you know, health backgrounds, you know, using this plus the idea of going national, how did, how does that play into decision-making around the product and, and how you build it? Well, so that is, uh, I think, where we're at right now, and we're evaluating what the strengths are locally in the market and what we would need to do from a national perspective. And I think that our product actually is uh, is well suited. We are very much like uh, in in terms of the resources, the um, the access, and the ability to apply our our our, our wellness platform on a national level. The platform itself is ready. It's there. It's very comparable to other national organizations that have that have uh, moved from kind of that plug and play wellness platform to more of a clinically integrated platform. We provide a lot of resources, online modules, and uh, more of what I consider to be low touch but high impact um, programs on uh, on our mod- uh, on our platform already. What we need to do is to further integrate our our, our clinical high touch uh, solutions in, you know, with a with a national presence. So the platform is there. I'm not sure that I'm answering your question, but no, that was that's good. I mean, the platform's ready. I mean, I think Brian, you and your team have probably considered that as you as you think through the database and um, the various w- ways you're going to architect the system. Um, you know, I remember when when we worked on the product years ago, we, we had to consider if someone was pregnant and all these kind of different, uh, you know, flows that a user could go through. So, so how, you know, thinking about how those different flows could come into play because they won't apply to everyone, you know, and taking people down the right path for them essentially. And the personalization you talked about. I see. I see. And, and what I will share is that because our, um, because our, our, our platform is really built to be customized for each organization, we would continue to do that on a national level. What is, uh, I think, helpful uh, for us in this domain is 
we're working with a population level. So we're already working with 40,000 individuals, for example. And as you move across the country, there are pockets, um, there are areas where the needs may be a little bit different, from, but from a clinical perspective, they're all within the range of, of, of what we would expect and anticipate and what we've designed for. Got it. I can uh, add a little from a from a technical perspective. You know, the platform is is ready in in the sense of the process. But as we grow, you did, we're looking at you know, do we have so right now we have uh, fully redundant systems, load balanced, and separate sites and you know, uh, tier one data centers kind of thing. But you know, at what point you know, if we have a bunch of customers on the west coast, do we? go to a cloud service and and get some support there so that we can have, you know, a, a broader reach for from a service perspective. Um, and little things too, just looking at most of our time, all of our times right now, because we're regional, we don't really pay attention to time zones. So we're looking as we th- start thinking now, we're like, okay, let's make sure we're thinking across time zones so that if we're scheduling on the West Coast, you know, we don't end up with not showing up for three hours or whatever, that sort of thing. Um, Thinking about stuff like that, just from a data structure perspective, as well as from a system architecture and what kind of you know support we need from a server perspective to meet growing needs, and that's the kind of stuff that we're also constantly looking at on the back end. You know, what's our server utilization? Are we you know is the system responsive as we want it to be, and that sort of thing. So, just to talk in the weeds for a minute, because I think this is important for you know product managers and teams you know operating behind the scenes here. What kind of cadence do you have where business is talking to technology, giving feedback, and then technology is giving feedback to business as well about, you know, how do we deploy to the West Coast and how, how that would look like? Um, cadence um, kind of makes me think about sort of a frequency that you're, that you're kind of uh, going after. And it's really pretty constant. You know, we are part of a big organization, but this group is is sort of like a, a almost like a startup within our organization, and so, you know, my team is meets very frequently with with the operations team, um, with the clinical team, and and so there's a constant sort of feedback. We're always looking at you know what do we need to adjust here, what do we need to adjust there, and and renew as the leader for for. The whole organization is really great about keeping us informed, uh, making sure we know. Okay, this is what we're looking at now. How you know? How do we? How do we get in this direction? We want to go national. What do we have to do? Um, and so, sorry, communicating the vision to the technology team. Exactly. Yeah, and to everybody. Um, she, she's a, a fabulous leader, um, and so that's really helpful for us, right? Because you, it's not like something is a surprise. You're, you're kind of always are kind of knowing what's what we're looking at, what's coming, and you can kind of start thinking in that way. And so, so we're ready to meet the challenge that comes up next. All right. Um, kind of one last question for you here um, around how you collect voice of the customer and how you get feedback from your user community. Um, a lot of folks have moved towards this thing called net promoter score. Have you guys heard of that? No. Uh, MPS. Okay. I won't talk about that then. <laughs> um, but no, so how do you how do you gather like what what are you going to build into the software product next and how do you get a pulse on what your users are using or not using and how do you prioritize features um, in the into your software development investments? Okay, um, we do a lot of surveying um, through uh, different survey tools, um, but. So, so that gives us an idea of, you know, satisfaction and what's working. Um, but a lot of our information really comes from the interactions. Um, you know, the clinical team interacting with people, saying, you know, this is what we need. 
you know, it gets talked about, it's kind of brought up as, a, you know, this is something that we think would be beneficial. Uh, we operationally look at it, you know, does this make sense to do? Um, and so it's really, right now, it's pretty interactive. I think what we probably need to be looking to is better ways to capture that digitally uh, from the system. And that's an, an area that we can start looking to grow in. I think I would add to that, that, that you know, the difference between our uh, approach, I would say, and the approach of what I now call first-generation wellness programs is our, our w- way of reaching people is about giving them the information that, that is important for them in a way that they understand it and in a place that they can find it. And, um, and so much of that is driven by the intelligence of our system, really looking at driving content to the right people and, and making certain that the content we think is most important for them and they will be most engaged with is in front of them. And a lot of that is based on need, a clinical need, um, as opposed to uh, what's most popular to look at from a, uh, how many clicks did you get on such and such page perspective. And, and one of the things that we, um, that we're, I absolutely agree with what Brian said. One of the ways that we are able to do that is we have a high touch program where individuals are very vocal about what they're looking for and what, um, what areas they they could improve in if they had better resources and what kind of resources those would be. And so, yes, absolutely. From a technical perspective, there are always new innovative ways uh, to make sure that you're able to, to target individuals from that perspective. And so we'll continue to grow along those lines. Okay. So the one question we like to make sure we get in with all of our guests is, I guess in this case, is there any book that comes to mind that really speaks to helping bring a product to market or you know getting a product successfully into other organizations or what do you what do you what do you take inspiration from so so you know that's a good question um, we've read so much on on what it is to build um, uh, you know to build programming that that uh, is engaging and I think you know, I'm trying to think about what what most uh, you know what what I go back to, and I have to I have to tell you I, I'm I'm a little bit stumped because I can't think of what have I actually gone back to and referred to several times. I may have to get back with you on that. Um, so it's it's not so much something I read recently, but uh, Daniel Pink's book Drive really um, is something that I read during this the process of of building and growing. Uh, this whole platform and, and business and just the sort of concepts that he brings up uh, around, you know, what drives, what motivates uh, people and, you know, to, to do things in this case, right. Wellness, you know, what, how do you help somebody develop the drive to, to choose a better lifestyle to, to live better and healthier. And, and some of the stuff in that book, it's a, it's a great read and it really felt like it was really applied to what we were doing. Well, there's another plug for the University of Rochester because Drive is actually based on um, a lot of Ed Desi's work, and he was a social scientist. He still is a social scientist at um, University of Rochester, who's worked his entire life on human motivation and self determination theory. So, uh, absolutely, 
it all comes back around to the U of R. (laughs) So um, thanks again for joining us, you guys. It's, it's been a fabulous um, podcast. I think we'll see what happens, what our audience says. I'm sure they'll have some great questions and some great follow up. We'll have some great follow on uh, material for this. Um, but we've been a big fan watching you guys evolve this product over the last many years. And uh, again, I appreciate both of you guys taking the time out of your day to join us. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. It's been a, a great conversation and we always enjoy working with you guys. Sean, it was such a pleasure. And I have to tell you, our experience in working with ITX and developing this product from a person who has um, or had very little technical background uh it was absolutely a pleasure to see how technology can really enhance a product and, and help you deliver what you're hoping to deliver. Well, thank you for that plug. I appreciate it. It it was a, it was a great adventure working with you guys. So appreciate that. Thank you. All right. So that's it for today. Thanks for listening. And we're not going to just talk to talk. We're going to walk the walk. So we would love if you go into your podcast products and leave us a review. Sean and I, guarantee and are committed to reading absolutely every piece of feedback we get there. And not only that, but you're helping other listeners by getting that feedback in there. It helps us move up the search rankings so that other people can find the episodes. So thank you, everyone. 